David, a man after God's own heart. We're in our second week of this uh, exciting character study that we're going to be doing all through summer as well as the fall. And I uh, want to thank you for your willingness to be part of that. And uh, if any time you, you have any questions or want to uh, do some follow-up discussion with any of the pastors, we'd be more than happy to sit down with you. We're excited about doing this series and trust that you are as well. I don't know if I mentioned it, but the uh, Russ's memorial service will be at the church at 11 o'clock tomorrow. So if you did not do not get a Cadillac paper, did not know that, uh, please be aware of that. 11 o'clock here in the auditorium tomorrow morning. Well, hopefully, as we look at the life and the person of David, we will learn as much as we can about this man who had a heart for God. <coughs> Excuse me. And the reason we want to do that is hopefully as we learn about his heart and his life, we likewise will want to be a person who has a heart for God. So as we do this series, we're going to discover kind of what, what made David tick. But more importantly, what was his heart all about? And how did he come to that point where indeed he had a heart for God? Because really, shouldn't that be the desire of every Christ follower? Shouldn't it be? That we would have a heart for God? That we'd have a desire to follow Him, to be true to Him 24-7? In essence, that's what we are called to do. Now, we're going to do another personal survey, because I knew how much you liked when we did that before. All right? So you need to get a piece of paper or your bulletin. Okay? Everybody grab a piece of paper and a bulletin, something to write with. And you're going to put on that piece of paper or your bulletin five numbers. You're going to write a one, skip a little space, write a two, skip a little space, write a three, skip a little space, write a four, skip a little space, write a five. All right? So go ahead and do that. Leave a little bit of room above that number, those numbers, okay? So I'm looking around. Some of you aren't doing it. One through five, all right? One, two, three, four, five. Not too tough, all right? Now, above the one, above the one, you are going to write below average, okay? Just put a below average above the one, okay? Guess what you're putting above the three? A oh, you guys are good. Average, all right? Put average above the three, and then find the five and put above average with the five. So you got one through five, the one you got below average, the three you got average, and the five you have above average. Okay, you're going to rate yourself on your courage. Okay, one through five. You circle one of those numbers where you think you fall in relationship to your quotient for being courageous. You say, well, give us some parameters. I'm not going to do that. All right? You kind of rate yourself where you think you fall in regards to being courageous, a person of courage. So is it, would you say, way below average, average, somewhere in between there? Maybe it's a two, maybe it's four, just above average, you know, or five. Man, I'm, I'm above average when it comes to courage. All right, so everybody's done that? You don't have to show it to your spouse or your friend or anything. It can just be your courage survey. Now, I'll share a little story with you, and maybe I've, I've shared this before, but, you know, at our house, seven of us, five kids, we had chores. And, and most of us 
here today have, have gone through that where you have household chores. Did any of you ever procrastinate when it came to your chores? Just two. All right. Um, you know, my chore, my job was to gather up all the garbage in the house, seven people, that, that was a lot of garbage, and then to take that garbage out to our barn slash garage, which probably sat, you know, maybe about 30 yards behind our house. But the problem with this barn slash garage, there, there was no outside lights. It was a bark, dark, foreboding type of building, kind of run down. It had an upstairs in it. I was sure that at night, you know, people from all over town that didn't have a place to live would be in that garage. And consequently, what would oftentimes happen is that I would procrastinate in gathering up all the garbage. And then my mom would say, uh, Jack, you've got to get that garbage out. But mom, it's dark. It doesn't matter. You knew you had to do that. You should have done it while it was still daylight. Get that garbage out of the house. I don't know. She had a fetish about garbage. So, so you know, I, I gather up all the garbage. And then I look out there. And, of course, the garbage bins were inside the garage. This dark, foreboding building. So my sister, who was about a year and a half younger than myself, I, I, would, I would say, Pam, wouldn't you like to go out to the garage with me? Not necessarily. Come on, please, go out to, I will give you a quarter. That was like, you know, half my earnings for the week. If you go out, Because I, I was afraid of the dark. And I knew that if she would go out to the garage with me, at least I could outrun her. So I got to admit to you that when I was a kid, I wasn't very courageous. But it didn't really get that much better when I became a teenager. I, I saw this gal, and I didn't know Deb at the time. She was an upperclassman. I was an underclassman. I, and I saw this gal, and I, I sat by her in study hall. And I thought, you know, this is a nice gal. Um, maybe I ought to ask her out for a date. So, you know, I contemplated that, tried to get up the courage. The next day, I sat by her in study hall. I didn't ask her. Uh, the following day, after sleeping on it, I said, okay, I'm going to have the courage to ask her. I didn't ask her. This went on for two weeks. Every day I'm trying to get the courage to ask this upper-class gal out for a date. Um, finally, I decided I didn't have enough courage, and I never asked her. So, I don't know where you are on that numeric scale relative to your courage. But this morning, as we continue with our series on David, we're going to see his unbelievable, I think, unbelievable courage when he had to face the giant, Goliath. Now, we know the story. I mean, most of us, you know, it's one of the first Bible stories that we hear, and, and it's kind of a neat story, particularly if you are a guy. And, you know, we think, how on earth could this young shepherd boy challenge a giant? when a, a whole army of Israelite fighting men did not take up the challenge. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Actually, just about the whole chapter is dedicated to this story of David and Goliath. We are not going to take time to read the entire chapter, but we're going to uh, note some of the verses, so I'm going to skip around a little bit. 
and I'll announce that as we do so, so you try to follow along in your Bibles, or if you just want, I'm reading from the New International Version, and you can just listen as I read this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17, going to start with verse 3. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites another, with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Drop down to 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take an ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Now drop to verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then down to verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the head. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. So this morning, we are going to note David's courageous heart 
as we face this giant. But first I want us to look at the giant of a challenge that he faced. I had the opportunity many years ago to actually walk in the area where they feel that this encounter took place between David and Goliath. It's located about 14 miles west of Bethlehem. There's a road that actually goes out into that area. And from that road, you can see the ravine that goes down between the two hills, almost creating a valley. Actually, that ravine, I was told that when the rains really come, the water rushes down through there. So a few of us, because we had to walk a while, took off from the road, and, and I actually walked down into that ravine, and, and I saw where the water had, had gone through that, that dry bed, and of course, as water goes through, it, it takes care of the dirt, and it brings up stones. So I reached down, and I actually picked up five stones. I got those five stones, and I looked at them, and I thought, boy, this is kind of what, what David did. I didn't have a sling. I didn't have a little bag to put the five stones in, so I just kind of put them in my pocket. I, I can't tell you today where they are, but for a while I had them, and probably my boys got a hold of them or something. I don't know. But I had that opportunity to actually be there, and, and I, I thought about that encounter between David and Goliath. See, the Bible kind of shares with us what is going on, because what we have here is the, the number one warrior from really a fierce fighting nation. The Philistines were known for being warriors. They were not known for being peaceful people. They did not like other countries being around them, and they would always try to take them over. And so there was this constant conflict between the Philistines and the Israelites. It wasn't just this one-time encounter. If you read in the Old Testament, you know that to be true. And so it was a warring people, and here was their, their, great, their great champion. And when I say great champion, of course, he was. Now understand that when he gave that challenge, he gave that challenge to the Israelites, and he says, pick your best man, I'm the best man from the Philistine army, and let us come together and we'll do battle, and whoever wins, they'll be the victor, and the other you know, armies will just bow before them and be servants. You know, I did some reading on that, because I thought, is this something that happened oftentimes back then? And i got to be honest with you, it didn't happen a lot. But there were occasions, there were times when that would happen, where the armies would be against each other. And understand, you know, warfare then was kind of different than like it is today. We think oftentimes, you know, of, of different warfare and guerrilla warfare, you know, and, and you don't necessarily announce yourself when you're coming to do battle. But it was different in that time. You know, the armies would march, and oftentimes they would have the, the trumpets going, and, you know, the louder you wore, maybe that would put fear into the other armies, and so you would march toward battle. And you'd have your army of men, and it would be visible, and the other army could see it, and, you know, if you had a lot of men and a lot of weapons and a lot of chariots, maybe that would strike fear in them. So you have these armies coming together. This is what happened. So these armies came together, and they were gathered on either hill, and occasionally, when the armies would come together, so to spare maybe the fighting men, you would have this occurrence, where one person would come from one army, and one person would come from the other army, and they would fight, and whoever was victorious then would take over. And so that was the challenge. Not unusual occurrence, but once in a while, it did happen. And as we know from the account, there were no takers from the Israeli side. In fact, for 40 days, this challenge was issued, along with all kinds of slurs and slams 
against the Israelites and even against their God. Now, I do want you to understand that Goliath was an overwhelming foe. Uh, depending on the measurement, and they did the whole cubic thing, and oftentimes it was thought of as being 18 inches, but sometimes that varied. Uh, Goliath was anywhere from nine feet tall to nine nine. I've never even seen anybody that tall before. I can remember one time when I was playing basketball at Cornerstone, we went up against a team that had a seven-footer. He was big. Our tallest guy was 6'6". Six, six. Uh, I only had to play a couple minutes against him, but you didn't get off too many shots in the lane. Thankfully, he wasn't real quick. Can you imagine nine feet tall? At least nine feet tall? And not only you know, was he nine feet tall, but his extremities were just massive. I mean, he was this huge guy. And not only was he a huge guy, but his weaponry, you know, even his armor was scary. It is estimated that his weapons and his armor weighed close to 200 pounds. Now, I've got to tell you something. You'd have to be a pretty big guy to be hauling around armor and weapons that weigh close to 200 pounds. So, of course, Goliath was just this overwhelming presence. And, and you could actually say that he struck fear in the heart of anyone who would even have to come in and stand before him, let alone fight him. You see, part of me, part of me says, I, I don't blame the Israelis for not having anybody come out you know, and, and fight this guy. So every day, for about 40 days, he appeared before the best of the Israelites, and he gave this challenge, and it was overwhelming. I don't want to burst any of your bubbles this morning, but all of you at some point are going to have challenge, a challenge or trouble in your life. Every one of you here this morning. See, many of you, even as I say that statement, you say, huh, what are you talking about? May, I've already been in that. I've already had that. But some of you that maybe are a little bit younger and teenagers and young adults, you know, you're kind of breezing through life and things are good right now. And, you know, your biggest problem is, you know, you got a C on a test. Right? And again, not to burst your bubble, but you're going to have some trouble. You're going to have some challenges in your life because it is part of life. And sometimes those troubles and those challenges can be huge. And they can be overwhelming. In fact, some of you might be here this morning. And you're in the midst of a giant challenge. A giant challenge that perhaps is consuming you and bringing to you discouragement. Now, I don't do this hardly at all. In fact, I don't know if I've ever done it. But we're going to stop right here this morning. I'm not done preaching. Don't get excited. All right? But we're going to stop right here this morning. Because I want us to pray for each other. And the challenges, the giant challenges that we have in our life. I'm not going to have you, you know, get up and announce your challenge. Nobody has to do that. Okay. But you know some challenges that are, that are present in our auditorium this morning. Whether you're in the upper level or the lower level. You know, kind of look around. And, and see people, because you, you know of some of their challenges. Oftentimes those challenges are health-related. Sometimes they have to do with finances. Oftentimes those challenges deal with work challenges. Sometimes they have to do with relationships. I don't know this morning what your giant challenge is, but all of you. I, I know some of what your challenges are. I know some. 
So we're going to have a, a time of prayer. We're, we're going to pray specifically. We're not going to pray for the weather. We're not going to pray for ourselves. We're not going to pray that, you know, God would bless me and give me, you know, no, it's not going to be about me. We're going to pray for each other and the challenges of life. I debated doing this, but I think I'm going to anyway. All right? If you want to stand today because you're going through a challenge and you want people to be able to put a face with the challenge, you can do that. I I don't want you, in fact, to share what your challenge is. I don't want anybody to have to do any talking today. Okay? But if you have you have a life challenge and you want us to pray specifically for you, June is already standing. Just go ahead and stand, all right? Just around the auditorium, all right? Some in the balcony. So I want you to re- specifically remember these people, and you may be seated. Thank you. I think most of our people know these people that stood. So as you pray, pray for these who stood. But. There are others here this morning that didn't stand, and that's fine. And I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable in that setting. But I want you to pray for each other and the giant challenges you're going through. So let us bow together. Would you do that with me this morning? study this morning, we're going to look at how David was able to face his giants, how he was able to face this great challenge and trouble in his life. So help us to take to heart the very words of your scriptures, and may they come to us as promises and words of encouragement for that which we face. I want to pray for our congregation this morning. Some are visiting with us, some perhaps for the first time or have only been here a couple of times. Many have been to Temple Hill most of their life. But just about all of us here this morning have some unique challenges that we're going through. For us, a giant of a challenge. And we are thankful that, first of all, that you are a God who cares. So even as we pray for one another today, we know that you will hear. You know those who stood up who are going through some unique things right now and have asked that we as a congregation might pray on their behalf, and so we do that right now. Lord, you know what the challenges are. You know whether they have to do with health issues, jobs, relationships, money, finances, maybe even their spiritual relationship with you. So God, we would ask you would hear us as we Pray for each other. Pray for the needs of this congregation. And we give thanks in Christ's name. Amen. So here's David. Here's David with a a giant challenge. But actually this giant challenge came to Israel. But it's interesting to me that David made it very personal. This challenge that came to all the fighting men of Israel, David took it on as his giant. Do you find that interesting? Because we have to understand that David could have ignored it. I mean, after all, he wasn't a soldier. He wasn't even supposed to be there. 
And, of course, his older brother wanted him to ignore it. I mean, he got mad at him, like, you know, you pipsqueak, what are you doing here? What are you talking about? You know, David couldn't understand why nobody had gone out to fight. So he got in trouble with it. You know, his older brother was not supportive. He could have easily said, this is not my fight. Or he could have said, this is King Saul's problem. So after all, you know, he's the leader of the nation. I'm going home. But he didn't do that. Which leads us to our next point. The reaction to the giant challenge. See, we have seen in the text, as we read this morning, the fearful reaction of the Israeli army. But specifically, there's King Saul. Because we have to talk about him first. Verse 11 says that when King Saul, and it names him, as well as the soldiers, heard the boisterous challenge, they were what? They were dismayed and terrified. Even the king was afraid. Folks, the verbiage that's used in that passage, in that verse, actually has the idea of a fear that is paralyzing. It's a paralyzing fear. Have you ever had that? I, I just read, read an article well, actually, I think it was in Fox News, uh, about this older couple, and, and I can't even remember for sure where it was. It just recently happened. Their car was stuck in the train tracks. Did any of you read that? And the young man came along and, and was able to push the car off the tracks. You know, he got the guy to get it in neutral. And he put, what happened was the older couple saw the train coming down the tracks, and they were paralyzed by fear. They said, we don't know what happened. We just couldn't move. You know, the, the older gentleman said, well, you know, we should have gotten out of the car, even though the car wouldn't run. We should have gotten out of the car, but we were just paralyzed by fear. That's the kind of fear that is spoken of in this passage, a fear that paralyzes. And so here's Saul, the king. Now understand, when Saul was chosen king, it talks about that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was the biggest man in the nation. He was probably the strongest man at the time in the nation. And yet here is Saul, paralyzed by fear. So fearful was he, in fact, that what did he do? We didn't take time to read the whole passage, but he actually offered up his daughter as well as wealth and never having to pay taxes again to any man that would go and fight Goliath. That'd be kind of neat, never have to pay taxes again, wouldn't it? I mean, here's Saul, the king, who should have said, okay, you know, my God's going to help me. I'm going to fight the, fight the giant, but he didn't. He was so paralyzed by fear that what he did was said, hey, if anybody will go, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage, which make, basically means you're going to be part of the royal family. I'm going to give you money, and you never have to pay taxes again. So they were lined up to go fight, right? No. Right? Because as the story indicates, there was no one. Saul was afraid and helpless. Now, why was that? I'll tell you why. Because he was no longer walking with God. The Spirit of God had left him. No longer did he have a relationship with God. Well, what about the reaction of the soldiers? Verse 23 speaks of Goliath coming before the Israelites and shouting his defiance. And verse 24 says, When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him with great fear. Again, the verbiage here indicates this paralyzing fear, but not so paralyzing that they couldn't run. I mean, you know, here they are. They're, they're, they're to the edge of the hill. Maybe some of them are, you know, down on the hill. And Goliath comes out and he screams the challenge. And, boy, they get up and they start running away because they're afraid that Goliath might come and choose them to fight. 
So even the opportunity to become wealthy, to be part of the royal family, there were no takers. And for 40 days, this went on. And Goliath stepped up and said, okay, give me some. Now, I do want you to understand that these men, for the most part, were not trained. They were trained, but they were not full-time soldiers. I think sometimes we kind of think that. These were, were men who had their own homes, who had their own fields that they had to attend to. And so for 40 days, they're not able to you know, make a living. They're not able to get the crops in. They're not able to take care of their household. They're there on the hill. So you'd almost think that somebody would say, we've got to get this thing over with. But again, no one stood to the forefront. See, I'm, I'm a little bit you know, thinking, well, maybe they ought to be excused because after all, they weren't full-time soldiers and you know, they had families and so on and so forth. But here's the question that came to my mind. Didn't they have the same God as David? Didn't they have the same God as David? See, it's sad. But no one was ready to take up the challenge. No one, including the king, was ready to stand up against Goliath. And how sad that there was no one to stand up for God before the enemy took down. I remembered a passage, actually I heard a message on this back when I was probably about 20 years old at camp. And I remembered the passage, but I couldn't, I couldn't remember actually where it was. And so I worked through my Bible uh, this week, and I, I found the passage. And you don't have to turn there, but it, in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, it says, The Lord looked for someone, the Lord looked for someone to stand in the gap, but he found none. He found none. So I thought about what is our response to the difficult challenges that come in our life? What is our response when, when, yeah, trouble comes and God says, are you willing to stand in the gap? Are you willing to remain faithful for me? Do we cower and forget God? Or can others truly see our faith in Him? Of course, there was another reaction, and that was David's reaction. He had a courageous reaction. For we see a shepherd boy stepping forward to take on Goliath. Thankfully, there was somebody that was going to stand in the gap. David heard that this had been going on for 40 days. And for 40 days, Goliath said this, give me a man. That's what he basically said. Give me a man. 40 days, give me a man. Give me a man. And there was no man among the soldiers to fight Goliath until David, the shepherd boy, stepped forward. Now, I don't know for sure how old David was. I mean, all kinds of estimates. Some say that he was 12. I've, I've read all the way up to 18. We don't know for sure how old David was. But he wasn't considered a man yet. So somewhere between the ages of 12 and 18, this shepherd boy came forward. Now, what moved David to do that when no one else would do it? I think part of what moved David to do this was that he understood that Goliath was not only defying the Israelite soldiers, but he was defying the living God of those soldiers. You kind of get a glimpse of that in verse 26 and verse 37. He was defying the God of Israel, the soldiers who were, who were fighting for this God. He was defying them as well as their God. And so in essence, he was thumbing his nose at God. And David, he couldn't just do nothing. 
He couldn't do nothing when somebody was doing that to his God, to his country. And even though for 40 days there was this opportunity for one of the brave men of Israel to do that, they didn't. But the shepherd boy did. You see, David viewed the challenge differently than the soldiers and even the king. He saw this as Goliath's strength versus God's strength. That's how he saw it. He reduced it down to that. If he hadn't, have, he never would have come forward. Plus, David was taking a stand for God. He was taking a stand for God's character and his reputation. And the great concern of David's heart was to protect the honor of God. Because David did that, God blessed him accordingly. Consequently, God gave him the special power and ability to be able to defeat this giant. Which brings us to our final point, And that is this, the victory over the giant challenge. We just alluded to that David was greatly concerned about the glory of God and how that God honored him because of that. You see, God's power was unleashed through David because David put God above all else. See, I I truly believe that God empowered David's arm as he swung that sling. Just the right power, just the right force. I believe that as David whipped that sling, remember we talked last week what kind of sling it was, and the one end of that string, that rope came loose, as he whipped that, and that stone flew out, out of the sling, I think God directed that stone. I mean, remember, this guy has armor. The only vulnerable spot on his, on his body was, you know, kind of his face area. And God directed that stone, and he directed that stone so it hit him in the forehead. And then I think when it hit him in the forehead, he drove it in there even deeper. took care of Goliath. David was not stupid. He did not attempt to fight the giant on his terms in hand-to-hand combat. That would have been foolish. And I thought of that. How often do we sometimes try to fight our enemy, Satan, and all the things he brings to us with our own power and our own strength? And David understood that, that he had to come in the power and the strength of God. God had given him some special abilities and talents, and he used that. But most of all, he knew that God would give him the victory. In fact, let's read of that again. Verse 46 of our text. David says this. He says it directly to Goliath. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. See, it was more than just about the sling. More than just about the stone. It was about his God. And God would deliver. And David understood that. And David proclaimed that even before he fought the giant. And I thought about that. Still... There had to be something inside David. There had to be something inside him that that would drive him to even have the confidence to go and fight Goliath. What was there inside his heart when no one else would do it? I think it boiled down to this knowledge and close relationship that David had with God. See, it was more than just book knowledge, but rather... He had a deep and intimate knowledge and understanding of God. He loved to spend time with the Lord. 
He loved the Lord. You see that in his writings. He listened to the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He allowed the Lord to work in his life. David had more than just a passing knowledge of God. God was very real to him, very personal to him. God, in fact, was the most important person in his life. And that's how David even had the courage, even had the fortitude to be able to face this giant. I like what J.R. Packer says in his book, Knowing God. He, He gives some reasons. He gives some reasons or some ways that real knowledge of God affects a Christian. I'm not going to share all of them with you, but but a couple of them I did want to share with you, and then I want to tie in David. First, he says in his book, those who know God have great energy for God. Those who know God have great energy for God. You see, in essence, David had this great energy for God. He was chomping at the bit. I mean, he just comes on the scene. He hears Goliath's challenge, and he has the energy and the excitement to say, okay, let's go. Let's go fight him. I'm ready. Nobody else did. See, because of this great knowledge of God, he had great energy for God. Second, Packer says that those who know God have great thoughts of God. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. I want to challenge you as we do this series, read through the Psalms, particularly the Psalms that have the title that they come from David. As you know, not all the Psalms come from David. But read those psalms that come from David, and you will understand about the great thoughts that David had of God. And having those great thoughts of God allowed him to say, I'll I'll meet this challenge. I'll fight this giant. Because I know my God, who's in my heart and in my mind, will be with me. And then third, those who know God have great boldness for God. Those who really know God have great boldness for him. Doesn't that describe David? Particularly in this account? I mean, how else could a teenager go out and meet a giant unless he had a boldness for God that resulted because of his knowledge and relationship with God? Well, as we close this morning, I do have a take-home for you. First take-home is this. Facing giants can be an overwhelming experience. Facing giants can be an overwhelming experience. See, I think we have to be careful as Christians, and I've been guilty of this, of trying to minimize people's giants. You know, it's kind of like the surgery thing. You know, you've heard it. There's no such thing as minor surgery when it has to do with you. It's major, man. doesn't matter if they're, you know, putting two stitches in. It's major. And your giant is your giant. So I think we have to to be careful. We have to understand that that giants, challenges, troubles can be an overwhelming experience. Imagine what it felt like when David walked toward Goliath. Imagine what was going through his mind. I, I, I think there was a little bit of fear there. But that fear was compensated because of his trust and knowledge of God. Because of his faith in God, David said, this is the day. The Lord will deliver you up into my hand. And so even though your giant might be overwhelming, I think you have to take the attitude of David. The Lord will deliver you. The Lord will deliver this giant 
from the Lord's Spirit. Secondly, facing giants can be a lonely experience. Facing giants can be a lonely experience. Remember here, as David went out to fight Goliath, there was no coaches, there was no family cheering him on. In fact, his brother said, what in the world are you doing here? Go home. There, there was, you know, no soldiers. I mean, they're all holding their breath. There were naysayers who doubted that this young guy would, could do anything against Goliath. He basically fought Goliath on his own, by himself. Now, we have a church family, and I understand the importance of the body of Christ. And to your praise, many of you rally around when you know of trouble and difficulty. But oftentimes, some of those giants are too personal to share. You kind of keep them inside. And it can be lonely. But you need to realize and understand that you are not facing the giant by yourself. You're not. Sometimes when we are on that lonely battlefield, that's the thing that brings us to our knees to trust in God. God wants to be there right beside you, fighting the giant. Finally, and I give you this, but facing giants with God is strengthening and enabling. As I just indicated, you don't have to face that giant by yourself. You have a God that wants to be right there with you. And when he's there with you, it's strengthening and enabling. One of my favorite verses, and I oftentimes share it on hospital calls. God is our refuge and what? Strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46.1. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that's a promise that God gives to us. He is our strength and refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. See, how could David have enough trust and strength to rely on a stone and a slingshot to take down a giant? How could he do that? In one word, God. That's how. God. When we try to tackle our giant with our own resources and our own strength, and we leave God out of the picture, we lose. We perish. So, friend, I, I don't know what your intimidating giant is today. I, I don't. It may relate to your job, your school, your finances, your health, or your relationships. But I want you to remember David's words before his giant when he said this, For the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. It's not just yours alone to fight. 